This episode of The How of Car Washing is sponsored by Focused Car Wash Solutions. Focused Car Wash Solutions is your complete guide to having a successful business in the car wash industry. Visit FocusedCarWash.com for more information. Welcome to The How of Car Washing, the podcast that helps the car wash owner operator and manager address the challenges and opportunities associated with building and running automated car washes in today's fast-paced environment. And now, here are your hosts, David Begin and Henry Lopez. This is David Begin. Welcome to this episode. My guest today is Paul Nelson, and Paul Nelson is the president and founder of Nelson & Company here in Colorado Springs, an accounting firm uh, based here in Colorado Springs. Paul started his company back in 1991 and has about 1,700 clients today. Paul graduated from Northern Colorado University in 1982 and finished up his accounting uh, curriculum at Regis University in 1986 and uh, received a CPA in 1988. Paul began his career working for another firm and in 1991 started his own firm with an emphasis on helping Uh, His clients achieved their life goal. Uh, Paul says his passion is to help small business succeed, and I can certainly attest to that because he's Mm -hmm. my account. But, Paul, I appreciate you being on our episode today. Thanks for being with us. You bet. Yeah, yeah. So tell us a little bit about your transition from being in a corporate environment to working for yourself. What was the journey that you sort of went through? A lot of our listeners have taken that journey or are thinking about taking that journey from working for somebody else to working working for someone else to working for themselves. Well, I kind of grew up with, with an entrepreneurial passion uh, because of my dad. I, I grew up and he um, was kind of a serial entrepreneur with probably 30 or 40 small businesses. Um, so when I went... When I went to school the first time through, I went I went and got an undergraduate in small business management because that's where I felt like I, I needed to be and kind of fell into the accounting part of things. I graduated at a time when there weren't a whole lot of jobs. And so I actually did go to work for my dad who had 30 companies and I helped, helped, oh, wow. uh, helped him with the books. And the gal that was working there said, geez, Paul's smart. And she quit the next day. <laughs> so I had 30 companies to take care of. But especially in accounting and the CPA world, you have to pay your dues. And so going to work for the corporate environment was something that I had had to do to get the training um, so that I could do a good job. And that's what I did for five years uh, prior to starting my own my own business was to, was to go to work for a larger uh, corporate accounting firm, knowing that someday... I, I was always going to go on and do my own my own uh, business because that, that was where my passion lied. But it really kind of happened randomly because one of the ladies that I was working with at this larger firm took me to lunch and asked if I wanted to start a business with her and had two little babies already and one on the way. And I I took the plunge and, and started started a business with her. Neither one of us had any clients, but... but- 30 years later, it's worked out pretty okay, well. Okay, good, good. So you, you had a little bit of exposure from your dad being in. What type of businesses did your dad have? He was he started off in, in hotel management and um, kind of grew from there. Not grew, but he, he sprouted out into campgrounds and little motels and um, consulting, um, kind of a wild variety. He had a, a place in Colorado where we, he marketed um, – 
the sale the the sale of some rooms um, around around I can't remember the name of the unfortunately the place but more of a marketing to get church groups and things like that okay. to stay okay. at, a, at a lodge. So. Okay. So to that. So you, you uh, did you do you think that exposure made you more interested in owning your own business, watching your dad do that? It, it did. Um, the excitement of it, um, the the freedom that it brought. Um, you know, there were also you know tough times, uh, economic times, because it's very difficult to own a small business. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was at least eyes wide open on that. Yeah. Yeah. I find a lot of people that kind of drift toward being an entrepreneur, a small business owner, probably their parents might have have done that. It makes them a lot easier for them to sort of slide in. Henry's dad, for example, was his own businessman. He didn't own a business, but he did his own work. He was a yacht maker. He made uh, a lot of the woodworking on yachts back in the day. So he worked for himself. My dad was in the military, so I had no background of small business. So I think that's probably why I gravitated toward corporate world originally. And then, and then, you know, finally figured out that that's not what I wanted to do. I wanted to, you know, be my own business owner. So, so interesting that, that, you know, your background, your, your parents and everything else, and it's something you, you like to do. And you were a good bookkeeper and that sort of flipped you over into accounting. It did. Yeah. Yeah. Good, good. That's exciting. So, um, so you got family members working for you. Who, who works for you? I have two, two, um, daughters, um, Katie and Allie, Okay. 27 and 26, both CPAs um, already. I'm really proud of them. But, yeah. Um, I didn't push them into into accounting. They just sort of honored me, I guess, and, and followed in my footsteps. Yeah. And that um, they're doing really well. That's exciting. So, so what what's it like? I mean, what's it like? What are the good things about working with family members? What are some of the challenges you found with working with family members? I mean, for sure, the good part of working with family members is is the loyalty. Um, it's you know compared to an employee, it's 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 not even comparable. Um, the time that you get to spend with them and and the mentoring that I'm able to give them, um, you know, get to go to lunch and go go take walks together and uh, discuss you know problems and clients and and things along those lines. I would say the difficult part. Um, comes from the from being family members as well which is they're they're also not going to act like employees and so their opinions are sometimes pretty pointed and sometimes accurate yeah but um so they do respect me a lot don't get don't get me wrong but they they're also going to speak their their minds a lot more openly than maybe somebody else who was 27 years old and Okay. Just starting in the accounting world. Yeah. Yeah. So sometimes you got to kind of, kind of manage that a little bit. Sometimes it's good to hear from that. And sometimes you don't want to. Right. So you got to, you got to go from being boss to father to, you know, you got to, you got to flip back and forth sometimes between that. Right. So good. And they're also daughters, which are different. I have two sons, so I don't know what it'd be like working with them, but I'm sure you have a soft spot in your heart for daughters. Oh, I absolutely A lot do. of times in men. So that's good. It's good. So you, you specialize in small business. Is that fair to say? I do. Okay. Okay, so you have quite quite a few small businesses. I do have, you know, small businesses ranging from realtors who are on their own to some larger corporations, you know, with with over two hundred employees. Yeah, um, but mostly small business um, is is where I kind of, like I said, found my passion, and it's such a difficult thing to to navigate through that it, I feel like it's it's sort of my place in life to help that's great yeah 
And, and you, you were probably our fourth or fifth accountant that we found. So we finally, finally found a great one, and we're sticking with you. Thank so, you. Um, you know, it was challenging for us to find one that we could work with. But, um, you know, as, as entrepreneurs start thinking about getting into business, they, I always encourage them to want to develop their team of people. The two most important people in that team, obviously, is any attorney they work with and any accountant. I think the accountant more so because they work with them on a much regular basis. Uh, going forward as far as keeping their business, um, you know, keeping their business on track and understanding what's going on in their business and making sure they're taking care of all the regulatory issues. So a brand new entrepreneur, you know, he's trying to figure out if he should incorporate or not. And then what type of incorporation, and there's all types of different types of incorporation you can get involved in. You can be a C-Corp, an S-Corp, an LLC, a partnership. Um, what, what do you typically recommend for people and how do you recommend them going about looking for the best way to, to find this out? You know, I think each, each case is a case by case, um, basis. I can kind of give you some generalities that 99% of all real estate is owned inside an LLC, um, because it's, it's the easiest way to do business. Um, when you get, when you start talking more about an operating business, um, I would generally lean towards towards an S corporation, but there are um, circumstances where you would still want to consider an LLC, and that would be situations where you had multiple partners and you needed to have something called an operating agreement, which is basically the rules and regulations of of the business enterprise that you don't you're not able to get with an S corporation. The S corporation has pretty substantial uh, benefits in that you have to pay the owners a reasonable salary. Um, but if you had a business that was making $100,000, you, you might have a salary to the owner of $40,000 a year. The other $60,000 is withdrawn from the business. It's called a dividend, but there, there aren't any self-employment taxes on that $60,000, which saves about $9,000 a year in, in self-employment taxes. So if you have a business with one owner or a husband and wife owner, or um, you can even, it's even more difficult to say two really good friends, but if you have one owner or one family, the S corporation generally is the way to go um, for an operating business. C corporations have a, a pretty terrible double tax situation right now where the top rate is 39.6% and it, you get there once you get over a hundred thousand dollars. You start paying those upper rates, and then when you pull the money out, um, those are called dividends, and there's a personal tax on the dividends as well. So, all of the big corporations in America are C corporations because the government requires anybody with more than fifty-five shareholders to be a C corporation, and it's because of this terrible double tax. Um, situation. So most of the time, C corporations don't work for small business. So you're usually leaning towards the S corporation uh, for an operating business, unless you have multiple partners with complicated, um, I guess, complications in splitting the money up. Because an S corporation, the dividend part of it has to be exactly based on the share ownership. Whereas an LLC, you, with the operating agreement, you could split things whichever way you that the group agreed to. Everyone want to, yeah. Yeah. So there's probably a lot of small business owners that don't even incorporate. I mean, do you you highly recommend incorporation and what, what do, are the reasons I, for that? I do because 
the default when you're not incorporated as a sole proprietorship, which has self-employment and income taxes on 100% of the profits. And it also is the easiest way to lose your house if something goes wrong um, and you get sued. You're, they're going to sue you personally because without without having a corporation, you are one and the same. Um, so your personal assets become at risk with a, with a sole proprietorship. Okay. Okay. So worst case, it's a good conversation to have on a, with an accountant early on to decide how you should get, get incorporated. Yes. And then once you've incorporated, then um, what type of, so, you know, when you start getting into the area of bookkeeping in a small business, a lot of people don't have a lot of experience with that. And um, there tends to be, I hate to say horror stories, but, um, you know, you end up seeing the back end of all the problems with individuals trying to trying to, you know, either be their own bookkeeper or hire a bookkeeper. Um, what are two or three things you could recommend to them as they get started as far as record keeping is concerned that you would say would make their life easier come tax time? Yeah, I, for sure, um, QuickBooks has control of about 97% of the accounting market. Um, so that that's usually what I recommend when somebody gets started is, is to make sure that they get that software. Um I have seen plenty of horror stories um, because most, not not all the time, a fair percentage of the time, people that are maybe starting a, a plumbing business um, don't have a clue um, how to do anything, have anything to do with accounting, and um, it, it, it creates lots of problems. I have a restaurant owner that has seven restaurants, and he actually has... N- very little or no respect for the accounting function, and he has some of his wait staff doing his books. And when I get them at the end of the year, it's it's a miracle that they make any money because they they just. He came in the other day and he came in the other day and made a comment and said, "My restaurant, my restaurant didn't make any money this year." And I said, "Well," and he had his two accountants with quotes around it in the room with him, and he said, and I said, "Well." how come your cash is overdrawn $85,000 on your balance sheet? It's showing a negative $85,000. That's impossible. And one of the ladies said, well, we haven't entered the last three weeks worth of sales. Well, once those, and once we figured out the last three weeks worth of sales were $110,000, he actually was going to make about $130,000 profit. Okay. So he walked in being the owner of all these restaurants and his number one restaurant, he thought didn't make any money and it did make $130,000 profit. So, I guess it's it is a judgment call. If somebody has some talent, um, I'll actually come in when they come in and meet with me. I'll actually come in and maybe train them to try to see if they have the talent to do it in house with quotes around it. A lot of the time, a combination of having somebody do their own books and then having an accountant once a month reconcile the credit cards and the bank statements and making sure that there's not some crazy things going on is a, is a is a good backup plan. And then there are the third type of clients that just can't handle books at all, and they, they would be far better suited having somebody else come in and help them get their books done. So there, there's all types of different variations. I, I'm so shocked that small – and my background before in the corporate world was I sold accounting software, so I had some fundamental understanding of accounting when I went into this. So I was a little better off. I wasn't where I needed to be, but I was a little better off. But I am so shocked how many business owners 
have no understanding or no interest in the bookkeeping side of their business where to me that's sort of their lifeblood it's it's the it's the roadmap of how they're doing why do you think business owners are so adverse to wanting to get involved in the bookkeeping part i really you know coming from my background i agree with you i don't (laughs) i don't understand why but i will tell you that 85% 85% of all businesses fail within the first five years, and I'd say it's closer to 100% of the companies that don't have a respect for the accounting function to get the proper help that they need um, so that they can have their books done by the 10th or the 15th of the next month um, and maybe and some information along the way for cost of goods sold and sales and things along those lines. Um, they just they just really are handcuffing themselves so that they don't almost can't succeed so so what would your recommendation be if i'm a small business owner i don't have a good understanding of accounting what would i do or where would i go at least to get a a basic understanding of what i need to understand i think if you came to a good cpa um that actually took took the time to sit down and help with some training in the beginning or at least to get an analysis of where, where you're at, um, that there might be some recommendations that you could have somebody maybe come in outside the organization to help um, get the books done. Okay. And where would you recommend somebody? So I've got 10 years of crazy bookkeeping experience. I've had some great bookkeepers and some really bad ones, but it was one of those roles I thought I could throw anybody into and they would be able to do it because you know it's QuickBooks or whatever you're using. It's simple software. You got to be able to do it, but that's not the case. That's not the case at all. We we actually have a test that we give um, potential uh, for clients that have asked us to help with the process. We actually have an accounting test that is pretty. It's a hundred questions and it's pretty stringent um, because unfortunately there are a lot of people that say that they're accountants or say that they're bookkeepers and they work doing accounts payable for one company, but they don't know how to do record transfers or principal and interest payments on loans or um, equipment purchases on capital leases. You know, all the things that are very important to putting books together, they know how to pay bills. Okay. And so that's, not a, that's not good enough. Yeah, yeah. So there could be all types of different – so for any company, depending on where they're at – they could be they could have a bookkeeper just do accounts payable and have someone else do the rest of the accounting. They could have somebody do all the reconciliation and give you the the systems or the copies at the end of the year. Yeah, I'm very sensitive to the fact that especially when somebody's starting a business, they're really, really worried about money and budgets. Um, so I'm trying to find a combination that's gonna get them to the finish line is is frugally as we possibly can with but still producing accurate accurate numbers so the best case scenario if you're not familiar with accounting is at least let you look at the books every month right let you do the reconciliations and then see what's at least catching up from that right and then you have then you sorry then you have another set of eyes um, that also might spot the fact that you have a restaurant and the bartender stealing uh stealing drinks or pouring drinks for their friends or yeah. because your cost is too high. Okay. So you've, you've got two wins when you've got a, a CPA that's got talent helping you with the reconciling because you've got another set of eyes looking at it as well. Okay. That gets into another story, another subject area I want to talk about is you hear about these all small business owners that wake up one day and their accountant has been pilfering money 
you know, and, and there have been, it could be hundreds of thousands of dollars over years. It could be a nice, you know, nice grandmotherly type of person, but come to find out, you know, they ended up losing their whole business over, you know, somebody within their business, they didn't have the proper financial controls in place. You know, that the financial controls is a whole subject in and of itself, but what are the three or four things you'd recommend for somebody to do just to make sure that they're got good oversight uh, over what's going on in their business? You, 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 the number one thing you can do is separate the person writing the checks from the person controlling the bank reconciliation. Okay, okay. In fact, you, you would want to have the bank reconciliation go to an off-site facility uh, because it is shocking you know some of the things that I've seen in my life I had one one gal that stole close to a million dollars from one of one of my larger clients and I went in they, they had a program that you could write check number 1096 to Home Depot for five hundred and sixty eight dollars and twelve cents and coded to repairs and then what this gal was doing is the bank statements were coming back to her back in the days when they sent the canceled checks Mm -hmm. and she would actually reprint another check number 1096 for the exact same amount and replace the check and she created bank stamps from united bank of denver and things like that and stamped the back of them so when when you looked at the bank reconciliation (laughs) you had a check for 568.12 and i probably didn't quite say it the 568.12 was written to her sure she replaced it with a check to Home Depot, right? And so when you went and looked at looked at the backup records, you had perfect documentation that everything was the way it should be. Oh my for, gosh, that's not where it went. So how how did she get caught? I'm always interested in how people like that get caught. It, that second set of eyes for me. Okay, the, the ratios on the repairs and the utilities and all, some of the things that this client had a real estate business just didn't make any sense. And um, so I actually had checks ordered directly from the bank, uh, from the microfilm, and they were hundreds and hundreds of them that were written to this lady. Oh, my gosh. Um, Okay. Wow, wow. So nowadays, with that being online, if a business owner was to go online and look at the scan checks, because you don't get checks anymore, they all come electronically scanned online. If you reviewed those, would that be an adequate financial control? That certainly would be, that would certainly be a huge step in the right direction. Because you're going to be able to see the endorsements. Okay. And, uh, make sure they make sense. But, but the one thing that you brought up, which is interesting, is you you can look at ratios. Like you can look at cost of goods sold versus sales, and find out if you know. Like I have a. I mean, we are being in the car wash business a little different, but uh, I got a vending machine that I buy. Um, frag, you know, if trees, you know, fragrance trees and dash wipes and things like that for, and I know pretty much that the percentage of purchases should equal a certain percentage of sales. If I see that changing quite a bit, then I can, I can kind of identify I might have a problem there. Those are things that you know that you type of services as an accountant can offer being that second set of eyes and ears that maybe a business owner wouldn't catch. Right. And then uh, and through time, the business owner is going to learn as well what these ratios should look like, and they're going to be able to catch their own issues uh, down the road so okay it's, so it's a partnership yeah that works out really well between the two between the good good that's good discussion so a couple other things so a lot of uh, small business owners are kind of preparing to launch their business through startup and they're going to have a number of expenses uh, that they want to take a look at back um, 
if for some reason it takes two or three years to get your business spooled up and you've got expenses crossing multiple years, what do you have to do from a tax perspective as far as filing is concerned? When you first file, you start making money and you decide you're going to file. Yeah, the government requires you until the date you have your first sale to record those as startup costs. And there's a new election that you can elect on a year-by-year basis to expense up front the first $5,000 of startup costs. Um, but then anything that's left, you, you have to amortize over 60 months, meaning you would get one-fifth of the costs every year for, for, uh, for five years. So, so you still get it all. You just don't get it all up front. Okay. Um, so I have had situations where I've had restaurant clients that – uh, we're going to open December 1st, but they also had lots of training to be done. Um, so I'll actually have them do caterings several months earlier than that, where they actually do some real parties for people so that they, they can say they had sales. Therefore, all the training and the things in the middle were, were expenses that they could t- take 100%. Um, you just have to have that first sale okay. documented. Okay. And once you have the first sale, then it becomes... Then they're not startup costs anymore. Okay. 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 So that's something they can do from that standpoint. This episode of The How of Car Washing is sponsored by Focused Car Wash Solutions. Focused Car Wash Solutions is your complete guide to having a successful business in the car wash industry. Visit FocusedCarWash.com for more information. So tax season's coming up. We've got another six weeks before you start getting busy again. I'm sorry to mention that. That's okay. <laughs> but uh, what do you like your clients to do to get ready for tax season? Uh, one thing I try to do is I try to get you, you know, I start looking at the books now in, in November, and I start making sure everything looks good because really the first week of January, I want to get you all my copies of QuickBooks so you can start working on at least the entities but what are what are some things you want people to start thinking about now for tax season in 2017? I will say specifically for business owners who usually do have LLCs or S corporations, um, what helps me the most is getting me the information as soon as, as possible. Um, all the business tax returns are due March 15th, and that's a 75-day window. Um, to get a lot of work done for, for accountants. And so March 1st may seem early. Geez, I got it into Paul two weeks early, but Paul already has 150 okay, in okay. front of you. So the sooner the sooner um, that you could get the information in, the better. Um, almost everybody is on QuickBooks, so, so the world is getting a disk from my clients and bank bank statements and lots of the backup for capital improvements and loans and things like that. This is, I don't know if this is a good question to ask, but is the end result better when you're not rushed versus when you feel like you're rushed? I mean, I try to make sure the quality is the same throughout, but you're certainly fresher in January and February than you are by the time you start leaning towards March and April. Yeah. Because you've worked a lot of hours and all accountants have worked a lot of hours by that point. So you're far better off not being one of the people at the back end. Yeah. So can kind of describe your year. So let's say January 1st. What what do you, so you're doing a lot of business tax returns for the first couple months? January, um, my firm gets about 150 business tax returns done, which is unusual for, for my industry. Lots of 
lots of accounting firms don't even start until February, but I've got a lot of business tax returns to get done. We do a lot of payroll reports and W-2s and 1099s for people in January as well. Okay. Um, and then as February rolls in, that's when the, the easier personal returns start coming because they have their W-2s and 1099s. And then the pace just kind of builds from there just, uh, to April 15th <laughs> or April 18th this year, I think. Okay, okay. Yeah, so it just kind of builds up. But usually it's business tax returns, payroll, and then you start seeing a blending between that and personal taxes up until about April 15th. Right. And then, uh, and then what happens after? I know you take a little time off after April 15th. But what happens after April 15th? Well, what do you do between that and, say, September 15th, which is the extension for personal taxes, I think, and... What's what's the extension date for business taxes? September fifteenth. So it's all all the same. And then October fifteenth for personal. Okay. Okay. So what 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 happens in that those six months? So, a lot of the stuff that we've already been talking about. I have a business that really is smoke, focused on small business, and so I am helping with those reconciliations every month and helping with people planning. Lots of people maybe planning on selling their business or people trying to buy a business. Um, people trying to figure out why their business is losing money, trying to figure out how they can make more money if they're even if they're doing well. Um, so a lot of consulting work um, during the off-season. Okay, so. okay, okay. So um, worst-case scenario, don't bring you a box of receipts. Um. I've, I've had bag, grocery bags, <laughs> I've had boxes, I've had everything you can think of. And those... those um, take a lot longer and they, they cost a lot more for us to prepare. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, I've had a lot of situations where people will have 10 rental properties and you have two tax returns that are look exactly the same on the outside looking in. Only one person had management reports from an outside management company for the rents and repairs and utilities. And the second person with the same similar 10 rental properties comes in and says, look, Paul, how organized I am. And they have a January through December folder. And you open up January and there's 10 properties and there's repairs and utilities and so on. And the government requires us to record each one of those expenses by property. And so where one, the first tax return might take an hour, the second one might take 10 hours. Okay. Um, even though they thought they were organized. Okay. Um so, so it, it gets back to getting with you beforehand and finding out what you want and how you want it to make their life easier. Right. And some people just can't organize and, you know, as long as they're willing to knowing that they're going to pay more. Yeah. It's yeah. only money, right? right. It's, it's, it's only their money going from them to you. So good point. Depending on how much, uh, how much they want to do for that. So if, if I was looking for a bookkeeper, if I was going to hire one, obviously the testing is a great idea, but, um, if my books aren't that complicated, would I be better just outsourcing the bookkeeping to a bookkeeping firm? I think that's that's not a bad that's not a bad way to go. Yeah, I mean sometimes for less than five hundred dollars a month, you can you can have all that done and have have it timely and and accurate. Um, okay. So okay. That's certainly a good way to go. Yeah, and, and well, what what would you look for in a bookkeeping firm? I mean, what would you what questions would you ask? Um. I'd certainly almost go back to a verbal um, version of my test, which would be, do they really know what debits and credits are? Do they really understand transfers and loan payments? And 
you know, then I would get referrals and make sure that they're timely at producing their producing their product because it doesn't do any good to hire somebody to get books that are four months late. It, right. It, it defeats the purpose. Yeah. So, yeah. So accuracy and timeliness, like anything, would be the two things I'd be yeah. searching for. It, it's surprising how many bookkeepers are not accurate. I'm, I'm shocked. Um, a lot of times I'll see adjusting entries and things that I wouldn't normally expect somebody to do. But, you know, just because you're a bookkeeper doesn't mean you're interested in being totally accurate about what you're right. doing. Right. They're they're a rare breed, to be honest. It's yeah, yeah. That's, that's, that blows me away. Blows me away. But so the other thing I want to talk about is when people sell their business. So, you know, most times people are going to work to 65. They get to their 65th birthday. They come to you and say, I want to sell my business. And they probably haven't thought through the whole process up until that point. What are some gotchas that people have gotten into? What are some things you'd want them to start thinking about earlier than later? I mean, the biggest gotcha, and there's, it is not prevalent in the world, but, but businesses that are not reporting all of their income, especially at the last four or five years before they're going to sell their business are really, um, cutting their own throats because potential buyers aren't going to pay for the wink of, well, geez, I'm really making, you know, your vending machine business yeah. would be a great, you know, source of people that are, are car washes, not your business, but, yeah. um, they're, they're just reporting all the income, kind of cutting back on um, personal business expenses would be my way of, of saying that. And actually having good records that people can follow. Um, that's what people are looking. Business owners are looking for successful business or potential buyers are looking for successful businesses that they have some comfort in the records. Okay, and be able to back them up. So there's two sides of that, making sure that the income is being reported accurately, but also making sure that people aren't loading in expenses which aren't necessarily germane to the business. Correct. So taking vacations, buying vehicles, those type of things sometimes right. are seen as uh, as kind of hard. And then, and then you spend all your time trying to justify, well, these really aren't, you know, these aren't really business expenses. Let's take those out. And that's where a lot of the arguments get taken into place. Right. But uh, uh, should should a small business have their books audited? I think depending on the size, if if it was a larger business that was in a larger sale, I think that would probably be a a really good thing to do mm -hmm. uh, to, to provide confidence. Okay. If it's you know it, it's hard to define smaller because, but if it was a sale of less than a million dollars for the business, then then maybe not. Yeah. Yeah. From, just from a cost standpoint. Okay. Okay. The, um, you know, the one, one of the big things too, I think, uh, as far as, uh, selling a business is, is getting a valuation. So, you know, how do you recommend going about figuring out what your business is worth? You know, CPAs can help with that as well, but there are, there are also business valuation firms out there. A, a pretty decent starting rule of thumb is, um, five times earnings as a kind of a starting point, but the earnings are after the owner has been allocated a, a reasonable salary because, it, you know, if I'm representing a person trying to buy a business, you don't want to buy a job. Right. So, you know, my example for that is you have two plumbing businesses, both making $100,000 a year. The first one, the owner lives in Florida and the, and the plumbing business is in Colorado and he gets roughly $8,000 checks every month for, as an absentee owner. 
the second business is a plumbing business in Colorado as well, except for there's a plumber that's running it that's making working 80 hours a week. The first business is worth a lot more money than the second business. So you've got to be careful when you're even applying those ratios. But the first business that has an absentee owner that's making $100,000 a year might have a presumed starting point as just a rough estimate of, of $500,000 in value. Yeah, yeah. So how much detail should somebody go on? So one thing I've seen, I was looking at a couple car washes a couple of years ago, and I was shocked how poorly their chart of accounts were built and how much how little information there was really in their books. So the creation of chart of accounts, I mean, to what you can get very, you know, very high level, you can get very detailed. Where do you recommend people fall I'm in? I'm more in the detailed category um, as far as the chart of accounts because it doesn't do you any good to have office expense and have $42,000 in office expense for the year and you have no idea what went in there. Okay. Um, so I, I'm for segregating the accounts so that you actually know where your business is spending the money. Or if you're trying to buy one, you're able to figure out where they're, they're spending their money. Right. Does that, uh, does that hurt a business if they don't, uh, if you feel like they don't create enough detail, does that create enough FUD in the mind of a buyer? That... It, it does. Okay. It, it, the more detail and the more accurate the records are, the records when you're selling a business are part of the whole uh, picture. Okay. Okay. So just making it, sure you're doing everything you can in that regard. Because imagine somebody's going to go out and get an SBA loan and they're going to spend several million dollars on a business, but they're looking at the records and they're, they're, you're, the business owner is saying, geez, this is making $300,000 a year. And you're looking at the records and you can't really tell you're, you're not likely to close on that business. Yeah. That's going to make it a lot more difficult. So good, good. Any other last pieces of advice uh, from a, for small business owners, I mean, if you could get them early, obviously you want to get them early in here to, to partner with you. But uh, Get them early, and I, I would also say the second you know, biggest flaw other than the record keeping is, is the lack of future planning with budgets. And, you know, pe- you know people especially starting a business from scratch, um, you know, they, need still, they still need to have a roadmap for the for the future to see, and it's certainly goal setting as well, but you're trying to project what your sales and what your costs and what your rent and what all those expenses are going to be so that you have, you're trying to specifically drive the car somewhere as opposed to hoping it works out. Okay. So the, the, the budgeting process is an important part of this as well, which we didn't talk about. Do you highly encourage uh, small business owners to create I budgets? Highly encourage it. Okay. Existing businesses, as well as as businesses that are just starting, okay. Um, because it's actually the really good years for some of these businesses that go awry, because things are going so well. They think, oh, I can go out and get that new couch for my office, or I can go get all these new things that they don't really need. And so, um, I think it's really important. Okay. Okay. Good. Good. And then, what what do you think makes your company unique? What are, what makes Nelson and Associates unique in the marketplace? Do you believe? I know it's just a word, but I do think we care. And I think that culture has been passed down to my employees and my daughters. Um, so we're not, we don't see clients as a dollar sign, even though we try to make a living like everybody else does, that we're really trying to help business owners do well, either do, either succeed as a startup or, or to improve their, their businesses. And to make my, our clients' lives easier because 
sure. A lot of this stuff is very frustrating for them. Yeah, yeah, good, good. So if people wanted to find out more about you, where would they go to find information out about your company? Um, Nelson and Company CPA.com. Okay, perfect. That's our website. Okay, great. Paul, I appreciate the time. This has been great. I appreciate all the information and I trust this is going to be valuable to our listeners and help them do a better job in their accounting. So thank you so much. You're more than welcome. Thanks for joining us on this episode of the How of Car Washing. And thanks to our show sponsor, Focused Car Wash Solutions. Please visit us at thehowofcarwashing.com for the show notes to this episode. Thank you for listening to the How of Car Washing. For more information, links, and other resources, please visit thehowofcarwashing.com and leave us a comment if you have a topic you would like discussed. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to having you next time on The How of Car Washing.